And uh, I guarantee you we'll be introducing that uh, for us to sing as a congregational eventually. Good song. Lift him up. Amen. Side of the Lord's Supper. Okay, the way many others look at it. And of course we looked at some practical sides of that. So now we want to look at what does the Bible actually teach? What are we looking at biblically? And uh, always, always interests me doing these studies because I go back and restudy, and there's always a little piece that comes out that I, I maybe saw but didn't quite put all the pieces in place like I should have, um, or maybe I just didn't couldn't see it at the time. You know how that works. Sometimes, sometimes you have to see something several times before you see it properly. Uh, so we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper. So First Corinthians 11 obviously is the is the the primary passage on this. There's other passages we could use, obviously, and we'll be looking at some of those, uh, but you're welcome to look at them as well. So 1 Corinthians 11, and then uh, I'm going to read a little bit, and then I want to do a really quick review, and I'm, I, hope, I hope we can do this really quick, because I, I want us to, before we get into the Lord's Supper, I want us to remember the teaching we've been looking at, because it's directly connected if we this is one of those spots where people they forget what they heard and uh and it's one of the things we got to remember the the process we've been walking through so first corinthians 11 okay he he comes he he starts the whole process in uh verse 17 okay and we're not going to read from verse well i guess we could but yeah it was might as well read in verse 17 now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among, among you, that they, which are, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone... So obviously... He is addressing a problem with the Lord's Supper, okay? Evidently, they had turned to, like, pretty much every time they came to church, it was some version of what they called the Lord's Supper, okay? And he says, this, it's just because just you guys are having church, that's not the Lord's Supper, okay? Verse 21, For in eating, every one taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry, that's what they're doing, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise, listen, despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Now, we don't get all the ideas of what's going on there, but the general thing is, number one, uh, they've turned, instead of the Lord's Supper being something of unity and ceremony and preciousness, it's something that is flippant. Uh, it's done without really a care to what's happening, uh, and everybody pretty much brings their own food, and if you don't have any, too bad for you, which is not unity. But then also, he says, you despise the church of God. So he's making a very direct accusation that in their mishandling of the Lord's Supper, they were mishandling or they were mistreating the church that they were a member of. Okay, very interesting, and we'll get into this a little bit more. Verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, now that's an adverb, not an adjective, okay? It's not saying that the person is unworthy. It's saying that the way in which they are partaking of the Lord's Supper is unworthy. Okay, it's the, it's the adverb, it's describing the action, okay? Uh, Either drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, Oops, I'm sorry, I want to skip a few verses. Verse 27. Unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, again, adverb, 
eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. That's in the church. That means there are members of the church, weak and sickly. It says, and many sleep. It almost gives you the picture that there were untimely deaths happening. Okay? Uh, unexpected things. Okay? Um, and in verse 31, he says, For if we would judge ourselves, again, back, looking back to verse 28, man examine himself. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Notice that, chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. Satiate your hunger at the house. This isn't the time for that. That ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Amen. All right, a lot of good stuff right there. So let's, let's have a quick word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your teaching on this. Pray that you'd help us as we look at it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now I'm going to do as best I can to get into my, my Yankee voice, as some people would say. So I'm gonna, it means I'm going to talk as, a pretty, good, pretty quickly here as much as I can. All right, so we were covering the doctrine of the church, okay, and uh, we looked at what the church was. I don't have a little time to get into a lot of this, but we looked at, member Ecclesia, it's a local church. And we talked about the church is, is a local thing. It talks about when you come together, when you come together into one place. It means a church is an assembly, which of course is the word Ecclesia. We talked about the four implications of a, a gathering together, a local church. It's local, it's visible, it's organized and constituted. And we looked at the support, pretty lengthy support, for all of those four things. Then we looked at the three metaphors that the New Testament uses to support those four things. Okay, if you remember them, the three metaphors that the New Testament uses, the church is pictured as three different things. Can somebody name one of them? A body. There you go. Well, it's funny because that's the first one we have. The body. Remember my little guy here? Okay, going to keep using him. Uh, the church is called the body. That's Colossians 1.18. We're directly told that the body of Christ is the church, right there, Colossians 1.18 and 1 Corinthians 12. We notice also that the New Testament called it a building, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Peter 2. And these are all examples. They're local, okay? They're assembled. It's an, there's organization, obviously, and it's uh, constituted, in other words, has a purpose behind it. Or there is a purpose. And, of course, I had to use that one, a bride. No, that's not the groom, but, hey, I get to pick the picture, so um, a bride. So 2 Corinthians 11, John 3, Ephesians 5. We looked at those things. Now, so it's Christ's body, right? Christ's building. He's the chief cornerstone, and it's Christ's bride. Now, I just want you to pause on that just a second, because we skimmed maybe a little bit. But if Christ is calling something his bride, is it, do you think it's maybe special to him? Do you think it's important how that's treated you think it's important that uh, uh, maybe even how the bride prepares herself for her husband? I mean, those are a big deal. Not like most brides need much trouble with that. You know what I'm saying? They're, you know how that is. But anyways, for some reason Christians do. But anyways, so I, I want you to have that in your head. This is, these aren't just metaphors. They're metaphors also that give us a picture of how God views the New Testament church, his church, okay? All right, now, we talked about which body is Christ's body because there's, uh, oops, I guess don't have that. Oh, yeah, no, I don't. Okay, well, so there's a lot of bodies out there. Remember we had the chart with, with all, the different, all the different places that claim to be churches, and, I mean, it's just endless. So, but we do know, according to the New Testament, that Christ is the head. Christ is the head. And that can be found in Ephesians and Colossians and 1 Corinthians. It's in a lot of places. We looked at all those verses. I don't want to re-preach that. Uh, and the body of Christ, of course, is the church. He is the head. We are the body. Okay? And there is no scriptural proof making the body of Christ anything other than the local, visible assembly of baptized believers. This is just not in there. Now, it's funny because when people use it generally, almost all Christian authors, I'm just telling you, almost all, I would say 99.9% of all Christian authors will say that the body of Christ is all the saved. 
Nowhere does the Bible say that. It does not. You search it for yourself. It's not in there. Okay? Um, A lot of commentators, not all, but a lot of commentators do the same thing. Ask Brother Chester. That's one of the things we're constantly reading through and have to look and say, got to toss out his vision of that. Is there anything good in there I can get, you know? So, and a lot of that's because a lot of the preeminent uh, political dominance in Christianity was Catholic, which transferred to the Protestants, okay? And they wrote a lot. I wish Baptists would write more, but even if they did write, I think it would get destroyed or who knows. The Baptists who can write, well, anyways. Is that, you all know I'm being funny, right? We, we've never really been, uh, let's see, what was the old term? Nair, nary, a, nary a page of literature or something like that. Something like that. I can't, I'm not saying it quite right, but nope. I ain't never, I ain't never writing nothing. <laughs> no, we ought to write some stuff, but oh well. All right. And we look again here. 1 Corinthians 12 is one of those that we have a very good support for. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now ye, and he's referenced, who's, who is he writing the book of 1 Corinthians to? To the church at Corinth. Ye are the body of Christ. And I know that church at Corinth has some other stuff in there, but if you notice, it says both theirs and ours. And he's talking about assemblies. It's kind of an interesting thing. I don't have time to go back and talk about that. But Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Okay? So he's talking to the church at Corinth saying, listen, you are the body of Christ. So if they're the body of Christ and there's no longer a church at Corinth, I guess there's no body of Christ anymore, right? Wrong. No, he's, talking, he's using a church context. So a church is the body of Christ and members in particular. We talked about that. They're all placed in the body with a gift to be used in that, in that body. All right? I don't have time to preach that again. He's not just a figurehead. He's not just a figurehead. This is very important. This is one of the reasons why an independent Baptist church can function without denominational structure or denominational hierarchy. Okay? Because he's not just a figurehead. When we get together to vote, again, this is not so we can vote upon what you think is the best version of the best side of the vote in your opinion. It's for you, it's your responsibility to access the head, not your opinion. To access Jesus Christ himself through prayer and fasting, if necessary, to ask God what is the direction that we should take in that vote. Amen and amen. All right? So be, be careful of that. that if, Jesus does, if, if it's our heads that have control in every vote that happens in this church, do we have a problem? And truthfully, are we following God's will? No. Okay? We might occasionally get it right because it sounds good. You know, but anyways... Uh, the head should have control. The head should make the rules. The body does what the head d- decides and chooses to do. Each member is answerable to the head. While my finger is a part of my hand, my finger it does what the head tells it to do. The, you, hear, you hear me? Every member in this body has to, has to answer directly to God for what they're doing in this thing that is precious to God. Amen. I'm telling you, that's important. This is part of what we're going to be looking at tonight is how important this is. But each member, each member is answerable to the head. Each member has a duty to seek the will of the head who is Christ. I'm not the head. Christ. Okay? Each member will ultimately answer for his submission to the church authority. Matthew 18, 17, submitting to pastoral authority. Hebrews 13, 17. And using his spiritual gift, 1 Peter 4, 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Amen. So a quick, just kind of a quick, yeah, there we go. I was pretty sure that was it. Yeah, that was it. All right. So I just wanted to get that in your head. So we got this background of how important, uh, we're, this is a body, okay, and we're still talking about the body of Christ, the doctrine of the church. We're walking into talking about the Lord's Supper, now, it's interesting, we're going to be seeing this about what the Lord, about how the body fits in here. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper is called three things. Uh, and 10, chapter 10 and 11. It's called the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, and Communion. Okay? The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, and the Communion. Now, it's interesting that... Often when we think about communion, or we think about in many other, in many other uh, places, I, and maybe even in my own mind, I'm still putting this together, but 
the idea of behind the word communion is not you having communion with God. I don't know if you know that or not. It is us together having communion with God. It's unity. If there's not unity, we're in a big problem. Hey, come on guys, up here. Okay, listen. The Lord's Supper is not you. Yes, you have to stand yourself before God. You have to be examined by God. But the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance. It is us as a body in unity communing with God. Amen. I want you to, this is big stuff. I want you to really think about this, okay? That's uh, interesting. He doesn't, call it, he doesn't call it man's supper. He doesn't call it man's communion. Let, hear, hear what he says? He calls it the Lord's Supper. So who gets to set the rules? God does. Yeah, we don't get to set those rules. The, the church doesn't even get to set those rules. All we do is administrate the rules that God has already given. Okay? So number one, what is one of the scriptural teachings? Well, look at chapter 11. Look at verse 24. Okay? I want you to notice just two things here. We get to verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. Okay? This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had stopped saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what do we find out first? Well, number one, the Lord's Supper is a matter of obedience. The Lord's Supper is a matter of obedience. This do. Is there any question about what God's saying there? This is, you do this. You need to eat this bread. You need to drink this cup. This do. You need to do this ordinance in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is a command, just as clear a command as the Great Commission is. And if you, if you do not partake of the Lord's Supper or refuse to partake with your church, you're in disobedience. Think about that a second. You are in disobedience. Oh, I just want you to think about that. Just c- consider how important that is to God. Not to me. To God. I'm the one that has to point it out, but to God. This do. Uh, you can go out. Uh, we, Mark 14 um, has also the word take. Matthew is, uh, every one of these, these things is put in a direct order. Uh, it's put in those imperative style sentences. So it is an act of obedience. Number two, it's an act of remembrance. And we understand that because I just read it. This do in remembrance of me. So it's an act of remembrance. It's a memorial. Okay, it's a reminder to us as a body, as the bride, of what the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus did for us. Amen. And we are supposed to celebrate that together. That's one of the reasons I like doing the hymn, because it tends to draw us together in in unified thankfulness. Amen. Is everybody is everybody here? Okay, so. Number three, it's an act of praise and thanksgiving. Look at verse 24. And when he had given thanks. So it's a good opportunity. It's a good time. It's a good, good time for thanksgiving. I, and I may, I may even look at that and make sure that we're considering, uh, that we're including all these things as we ought to. That would also be in Luke 22 and the, one, the chapter previous also. Uh, act of praise and thanksgiving. Number four, it's an act of testimony. An act of testimony. Verse 26, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. The Lord's Supper is a pictorial, prophetic, and perpetual. It is a, it's like a, it's, it doesn't change our faith, but it's a good way for us to maybe reaffirm it. You know, it's not like a, it's not like a, oh, what is it they do? I, uh, when people, are, they know they're saved, but they, they feel like they just need to get right out. I, I have, I have funny ideas about some of that stuff, but you're either backslidden or you're walking with the Lord. So walk with the Lord. You know, you don't have to have a special time with that. Just start. Just do it, okay? But the Lord's Supper is something that it just, it kind of puts you on purpose back in touch with purposefully thinking about what He did for us and making sure that in our own heart we're cleansed and clear before God. So, and not only that, we're testifying about the gospel. We talked about that before. Just like, just like baptism does, it talks about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So does the Lord's Supper re- represent that in the body and the blood, or the wafer and the, and the, the grape juice. So, and matter of fact, Matthew twenty six twenty eight, 
Matthew 26, 28. I'll just read this one for you unless you want to turn there. You might want to write that down. If I can get that ribbon out of there. There we go. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. <laughs> that's, that's directly connected uh, to the cross. That's directly connects the Lord's Supper to the cross. I mean, I know it's already connected. I know it's already di- directly connected, but Jesus there referencing its salvation. It's referencing right back to it. So Luke 12, Romans 10, you can go through there. Um, it's also a time or an act of examination. Let a man examine himself. And this is serious stuff. For, you know, for, uh, if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Not just, and I, again, I'll encourage you, this should not just happen the few moments before you take the bread and the juice. This should happen in the weeks prior up to. I'll tell you, if a, a mature church is one that has a lot of apologies going on. I don't know if you know that or not. If there's no apologies, it's not a mature church. Because nobody's perfect. No one is ever perfect. We all fail, and we all do things we're not supposed to. A mature church is one that frequently finds one member saying to another, I'm sorry, brother, I should not have said that. Or, I'm sorry, brother, I was wrong. I should not have acted that way. That's maturity. That's not baby steps. That's maturity. Baby steps is, I ain't got to apologize to nobody. The very idea that you as a Christian think that you have no one to apologize to for the, for the events that you've had in the last two months is a joke. I'm just going to tell you straight up. If, if you have no one to apologize to, just say the last two months. I could say probably the last day. The fact that you, there's someone you may not have to approach and say, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have acted in that spirit. That's a joke. There's nobody that perfect. You can say what you want and think what you want, but if you have not apologized in a very long time, the person to look at is you and not everyone else. I just, uh, if you're walking with the Lord, you're going to be apologizing, especially to your family. And if you have a spouse, you'll be doing it a lot there, okay? That's an examination, clearing ourselves before the Lord, not just before the Lord, because the Lord also sees our interactions with our brothers and our sisters, so everything has to be right between us and them. Well, I don't want to have to approach that. That'll just stir up a big mess. Okay, then don't come to the Lord's Supper. If you're not going to get it right with a, with a brother, then you, don't, you cannot partake the Lord's Supper. Should not partake the Lord's Supper. Because you are, you are literally putting yourself in a place to be judged by the Lord. It, it says right here, listen, listen. <clears throat> verse 32, but when we are judged, verse 31 for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. He says, you need to do this yourself. If you don't, verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. God's not going to let his children partake of the Lord's Supper, and they've not got things right with a brother. He is, there's going to be chastening. That's, that's as clear as a bell. There's going to be chastening. Well, I don't think I have any chastening. You know, it's amazing how we never think, you know, we never think the Lord's getting after us. But I just want to look at your life a little bit. Maybe, maybe pause and ask yourself if some things maybe are the chastening of the Lord instead of just bad circumstances or bad luck. Okay? Maybe we should give the Lord a little bit more credit for some proactivity in our life. Let a man examine himself. Our fidelity to Christ and our fidelity to our brethren should be, exam- should be examined severely by ourselves. Not by me, not by a spouse, by you standing before the Lord asking, God, please. Is there anything I need to make right? Sometimes that goes back decades, and sometimes it goes back minutes <laughs> or seconds. You never know. Number six, it is an act of, again, communion. So look at, look at chapter 10. Look at chapter 10. By the way, we might also look at the examination and back to the obedience part as well. If you're not partaking, ooh, ouch, or the, the judgment part, self-judgment. First, First Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not, listen, the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, listen to that, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. You see the communion involved? It's, it's our communion as a group with God. It's, it's a group event, okay? 
The word communion means fellowship or partnership, okay? And that is very definite. So uh, this is one of, the thing, one of the things about the Lord's Supper. So it is an act of obedience, an act of remembrance, an act of praise and thanksgiving, an act of testimony, an act of examination, and an act of communion. Now, here's a question. I really just want to walk us back through this and start that way. And if, if I'd have had enough time, I would have prepared my thought on this process. No, you know what? Let's just do it. So back in chapter 11, okay? So we're, this, is, this is a question I want, we're going to look at. Who's, who is partaking of the Lord's Supper? Okay, so look at verse 17 in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Okay, now in this... That now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better. Look at verse 18. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, you see that? Okay. Look at verse 20. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, look at verse 22. Uh, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? Okay, now look at verse 23, I'm sorry, 33, verse 33. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And then also in verse 34, uh, we have these terms right in the middle, that ye come not together again. So let me ask you a question. Out of the context about the Lord's Supper, who is partaking of the Lord's Supper? You tell me, right there. Who? Who? The church. The church. The church that assembles. Not every saved person in the world. Those who are coming together. That's those who, he's talking to the church at Corinth. When ye, members, come together. And he even says, in the church of God, and he, even, and he talks about it literally, that to not participate is to despise all the believers. Does it say despise the kingdom? No, it just says to despise the church of God. So who is to partake of the Lord's Supper? The church. And what do we know about the church? It's not universal. We just looked at all that, don't we? Didn't we? I just kind of went through this reminder. A church is typified by a body, a bride, and a building. Those are all visible, touchable, local things. They're all in one spot. Okay? Again, there is, there is no context in Bible. And you, I'm, I'm telling you, bring them to me. Bring your questions. Because sometimes, because we're so conditioned by Christian radio and Christian books and Christian authors and Christian commentators to think that the church just must mean all the saved, that it's a natural part. We even use the term, uh, the rapture of the church. That's not in the Bible either. What's the rapture for? The church? No, it's for all the believers. There's a big difference. Now, of course the Lord's going to come to get his bride because there's a marriage supper, but the bride's not the only one going. I'm just telling you, there's, there's, there's an interesting take on this. So, there's different viewpoints, and we'll look at this. There's different viewpoints of who may partake of the Lord's Supper. There's what we are. We are what's called the church way or closed communion, which would match up with the context, church, which means it's for each church to observe with their saved, baptized members. Okay? That's close. In other words, it's us. That's why we do it on an off night, so we don't have those awkward things where you have to say, I'm sorry, this is a private event. We need you to leave now. That's why we do it by invitation. It just helps us save some of that, that back and forth awkwardness. Okay? Um, so, and by the way, to carry it a little bit further, it's not just the church members, it's the church members in good standing. So, Lord's Supper is for the church members in good standing. So, you understand the term excommunication. You understand the term as almost a direct connection to, to communion. Okay, but we would, not, we would certainly not allow a member who is in blatant sin to partake of the Lord's Supper because they'd have to examine themselves first. And they'd have to, if they were in open sin, there would have to be an open apology and an open repentance. Okay, so close communion. Then there's what's called close communion. Okay, so what close communion is, is it's restricted to church members, but is open to any visiting members of another church of like faith and order, and that's called the denominational way. Okay, so in other words, anybody else who happens to come through, um, if, they, if they say that they are saved, and, you know, and they're a, 
member in good standing at their church, uh, then they could partake. That's the close or denominational way. Now, right off the bat, there's a big problem with that because we have no way to verify. We can verify the members of our church if they're in good standing. We have no way to verify a random person coming in the door if they're a member in good standing at their church on, on the moment. So there's an issue, issue with that. And if churches do want to do that, they probably ought to double-check all those things. But anyways, um, and there's, there's an interesting one here that he doesn't talk about. There are churches who believe closed, but practice close. Okay? So li- listen, they believed closed, but they practiced close. And what I mean by that is they don't want to have to go through the, the embarrassment of asking people to leave. So they're closed, but they won't tell someone they can't partake. So in practice, they're close. Is that, is that, you know what I'm saying? Just because they don't want to have to. Uh, and we may come to the place uh, where uh, if we ever got big enough where we would have to say, I'm sorry. We might have to have people out just saying, forgive me for asking, but are you a member? There's nothing wrong with that because it's for the church. Then there's, and that's the dom- denominational way. Then there's one that's called the interdenominational way. And that's called convenient communion. Convenient. And, that's, and it's this, this term. It sounds real pretty. It really does. It's for all who love the Lord in sincerity and in truth. For all who love the Lord in sincerity and truth. I don't know if you know this or not, but and I, I did a little bit of study, and I don't know if... I, I, I mean, there's a... I went to the Catholic's doctrine pages and I was trying to dig down on this a little bit. But because we have been baptized in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, uh, we could walk right into any Catholic church and, and take communion with them. Because they would say, whether we're in another church or not, because we've been, I'll get this, because we've been baptized in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, we're a member of their church. Because that's salvation and church membership all tied up in one. Really interesting piece there. But anyways, makes me wonder if one day they'll all try to claim us as members. But <laughs> makes me wonder if they do already claim us as members. Anyways, all right. Anyways, so that's the interdenominational way, which means if you're saved, you can partake. Then there's clinic communion. Okay, now this is, this is practiced not by everybody, but clinic communion is basically one of those, you've heard of the last rites. Have you ever heard of that last rites or last communion? Um, it's where a pastor or maybe a pastor and another group of men will go to a, a sick or a shut-in's house and, and partake of the Lord's Supper. That's called the individual way. Again, a problem with that is that's not a church context. That's not coming together. Okay? And it's not like the Lord doesn't have grace enough to help shut-ins who can't make it to the Lord's Supper. Okay? You, you understand that. There's grace for some of that. So... We believe it's a church ordinance, closed, closed only. Uh, we've, we've believed that way for a long, long time. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, so just a funny little story, but when I was first introduced to Brother Gosnell and the circle he ran in, okay, which was the Northwest guys, so a lot of the Northwest guys, uh, my dad and I, did, we were close. We were close communion, my dad and I. Uh, that's how we'd been raised. We'd never heard any difference. As a matter of fact, the only closed communion people we knew were like super stuck up and wouldn't even talk to anybody. So it was like, eh, okay. So when we were introduced to Brother Gosnell, I say Brother Gosnell, that'd be Brother Luke and Miss Nicolette's grandfather. Uh, the circle they ran in, they were very tight on this subject, extremely tight. As a matter of fact, I'm at least as, at least as tight as they are right now. And I'm I don't know, I hope I'm not a half a step further, but I'm at least as tight as they are now. But we sat down, we were fellowshipping, and before you know it, there were two or three people, including Kathy Farinella, if some of you would remember her, they were gathered around us at a restaurant, and they were firing questions at us about who we were and what we were about. Uh, and then it spread to everyone else, you know. And the nice part about it was, is we weren't coming into churches trying to turn that over. We're just being who we were. And these guys all had patience with us. And it's, it literally is because of... I don't, know if, I don't know how many conversations I had with Brother Gosnell directly about it, uh, but a lot of people just like him who specifically kept asking us good questions and began to turn my dad and I by Bible, by Bible questions to the true doctrine of what this was all about. So uh, I sure enjoyed that. But I, I'm, as, I, I'm as solid on this as I think you can get. Uh, 
There's a few people that are further out than both Brother Gosnell and I were, and we're not going there. So, anyways. So, restricted is to the place. The Lord's Supper chapter is to a church, for a church. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is church. It is a church thing. As a matter of fact, uh, if we look at chapter 11, verse 2, I think it's is it chapter 11, verse 2. Yeah. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. And in that same chapter, what does he do? He rehashes the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Okay? So he's talking, it's a church. It was given, uh, a church was instructed to keep the ordinances. Okay? And the supper was first instituted in a church setting. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in here. Uh, but if you remember 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we're right there. We might as well get the verse. Uh, and God has set some in the church, first apostles. Okay? It was the first church. <laughs> the apostles are the first church. So the supper was instituted in a church setting. Uh, the, the author mentions that they, they sang a hymn and all that stuff. That's great they sang a hymn. We sing hymns. That's, um, that's why we sing hymns. That doesn't necessarily biblically mean it's a church setting, uh, but certainly is appropriate. Um, that's what we would consider a church setting. That we'd consider that. Okay, we don't do open communion because membership in the Baptist church is not open. Everyone who walks in the door cannot be a member. They have to, I mean, they can be if they're willing to, are they properly baptized? Are they properly saved? Are they willing to yield to our doctrines? Yes. Uh, otherwise, no, they cannot partake of the Lord's table or membership for that, per, for that matter. Uh, the Lord's churches are independent and are to observe the supper independently. So we reject the idea of close communion. Okay. Uh, listen, I traveled for many years in this realm uh, and was very thankful to be able to get back to my home church to have the Lord's Supper. And frequently we had to leave services at other churches so they could celebrate their own Lord's Supper. This is not, it's not like rude or unusual or anything. It just, you know, some, some people just have to get used to it. So, And of course, we don't do the clinic communion, the individual thing, because it's apart from the church body, which is not what the Bible teaches. So, so because the Supper is a church ordinance, only baptized believers in fellowship with their particular church should partake. And again, to not partake, to not participate is just disobedience. This do. This do in remembrance of me. <coughs> I'm sorry. So restricted. It is restricted uh, to the place. Restricted to those. Now we'll look at some of the participants. There's some interesting words it uses in here. I, I called out a couple of them. I hope I'm not going too fast, but I'm trying to hurry. I am we still may not get through. We might. We might. We'll see. Okay. Restricted us to the participants. He uses some interesting words in here. First one's the one I pointed out that is in two different verses there where it says unworthily. So it says it in verse 27, and then again in verse 29. It says, and, and again, that's a, an, an adverb. It's describing the action, not the person doing the action. Okay. Now, there's going to be some issues there. It's not saying, it's not talking about our, our standing with God, okay? Salvation is a done deal. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the way in which, and that's the, what he's been addressing with the Corinthian church. It's the way in which they were partaking of the Lord's Supper, okay? So, if we really want to be truthful, no man is worthy, are we? None of us are worthy of this. So it's not talking even about the man. It's talking about the it's talking about the, the manner in which it is taken. Okay, and in the general context of the chapter, if we look at the chapter, that leaves us with uh, th- this author says too. I believe there's three things here. Number one, apparently there was some gluttony going on. It says even some are drunk. And I mean, the idea is that there's some over there just stuffing their face. Okay, there's some gluttony going on, and this was called the Lord's Supper. There was division, which this author does not include, but there was division because there were some who were real rich and had lots of food, and they looked down on those who didn't have the food and were like, well, too bad for you. You know, hope you can find some food somewhere else. Meanwhile, the people who didn't have the food were over there going, well, look at you all, goody two-shoes. You know, I mean, it wasn't just a one-sided thing. <laughs> the, the down ones were looking up, and the up ones were looking down, and so there was no unity. There was division. So, so there was some gluttony, there was some division, and then also, he says quite clearly, they were despising the church of God. 
That's interesting to me. This is something somehow I never connected the dots. He's referencing the church of God. What is the church of God? It's the body of Christ. It's those members together. When those members come together and they're not in unity and they are not partaking of the Lord's Supper as a unified body subservient to Christ, they are not only doing despite to the, to the, the ceremony itself, they're doing despite to the church. They're saying, I don't want to be a part of this group as a unified body. I'll be a part of that person, but not that person. And I'll join with that person, but not that person. That's basically shaking your little fist in God's face and saying, well, I don't care who you put in this body. I'm only going to have unity with some of them. That is not, God's in charge of who's in the church, not us. And our unity is to be with all those in the church, not our favorites. And not those that we like better than others. I'd say this isn't a good time to start, you know, checking out the tips of your shoes, but maybe it is. Go ahead if you, if you need to. Okay? Some of the members had turned to the Lord's Supper to an intemperate feast. They were flaunting their own supposed spirituality and riches and all this stuff. This isn't a church picnic. The Lord's Supper is not a church picnic. It's not something to be regular meal designated to satiate everyone's carnal appetites. Uh, even if that's a carnal appetite for feeling like we ought to have it. That's just a carnal appetite. It needs to be done something very clearly. And according to verse 29, when we do this, look at verse 29, another, another reference here, and I never connected this dot. For he that drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, this is a double reference. This is not just referencing Christ's body on the cross. This is referencing the body. If you are t- partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily, you are not recognizing that this is a body. There's no discernment there. You're there for yourself and yourself alone. That is no discernment. This is a unified body. A unified, and we're going to have some other verses in here that just might add to it. Matter of fact, uh, uh, well, no, no, we'll get there in a minute. There's more verses in here that will help us connect these dots, okay? So, the selfish action of some of the members at the Church of Corinth was causing division and showed that they had no concern for their other members, the other members, the counterparts. Therefore, they don't have concern for spiritual unity in the church. Obviously, it was their church, not God's church. You hear me? There was, this is my church, no matter what God... I mean, that's what they're saying in action. Okay, And then it uses this term, so that's unworthily. Then it uses this term... Guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That just sounds really serious, doesn't it? Verse 27, unworthily. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Uh, Now, so here's what we can't think. This doesn't make you like somehow personally above how all of us are responsible it doesn't somehow make you personally responsible for the Lord's crucifixion. That's not what it's saying. It's not singling you out as above all others. While all of us are personally responsible for the Lord's crucifixion, that's not what this statement is saying. It's not suddenly saying, oh, we're going to remove your forgiveness and now you're responsible. Okay, no, that, that's, not, that's not the idea. We're all responsible that way. The meaning is, again, look at verse 22. Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God? Now look at verse 29. For he that drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. I mean, there's, you understand there's a unity here. We're all, we're all as one coming under unity together with God, with, I'm sorry, with Jesus Christ himself at the cross. Okay? The, the, the Lord's Supper is symbolic of the spiritual unity of this church with each other and with the Lord. Are you, are you see, okay, so turn back, to first, turn back to chapter 10. We'll read these verses again. Okay? Verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. See that? For we are all partakers of that one bread. That is, that is Paul directly connecting 
the, the body of the Lord in the, as an element in the Lord's Supper with this body right here, the body of the church. A direct connection. Not discerning the Lord's body means that you are, you are not coming in this as a unified group. You're not trying to seek unity with this group of believers. You're coming in solely for yourself. Okay? This is essentially what this means. The violator. The violators that were going on in, in 1 Corinthians at the church of Corinth the reason they were violating is because they had no understanding of the nature of how God saw the church. They only, saw how, they only wanted to see how God saw them individually. Do you, you understand that? Well, you know, it just means, you know, it, it's, that's a very prideful thing. It's just about, you know, hey, what I believe is just between me and God, blah, blah, blah. Religion's a private thing. You've heard all that before. No, this is about unity. We must come together in unity. Amen. That's amazing how we are taught as hum- or we, we're as humans and probably by the devil and the world and carnality, but we're always about division. Stand out in the crowd. You've got to be a standout. You've got to you know, rise above the crowd. You know, I hate to tell you this, but wars aren't won by generals. <laughs> but we say that, don't we? I, we were just having a conversation the other day about when MacArthur took Japan. Yeah, like MacArthur went out there with his revolver by himself and took Japan. No, there was a whole lot of airmen and sailors and marines and soldiers. There was a lot of nobodies working in unity under the direction of a head to accomplish a task. And I I really think, and I'm looking at us too, I even think if we were to go back into the realm of outreach, Somehow we we lose. We think that somehow outreach. Well, it's just between me and God. No, it's not. That is a church responsibility, and you are a member of this church. Therefore, you are responsible to give the gospel. Every one of you, no matter how old you are, your responsibility. Now, great. Some people are really good at it. I know that. I wish I was one who's really good at it. I'm not. That means it's not just between me and God. No, this church as a as a unified body needs you to have your part of outreach. And not only that, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, there has to be us together coming, seeking unity amongst the brethren. Seeking, making sure we are at, we are at clean and clear conscience between each other and the Lord. Amen. And if listen, if that can't be done... And you can't do it. That's when we go right to Matthew 18 and we start, we start through that process of, listen, if you can't get it right, find somebody to go with you to help you get it right. A- amen. We need to get things right. Examine yourself. The guilty of the body, the violator does not understand the true nature of the Lord's church. It fractures the unity of the church. It makes one guilty of violating the communion, the partnership, the fellowship of the body and blood of the Lord as we see even see right here, we have the direct connection between the body of the Lord. We are that body. We are that bread. But just amazing. I've never seen that connection before. And of course, he uses the word examine. I've kind of hit this already, so I want to spend a lot of time here. I would encourage you to read uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 3, and chapter 5, 25 through 27. Think about this. At the Lord's Supper... So we're talking like, like, sorry, right before the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, verily, verily I say unto you, one of you that eateth with me shall betray me. What was the response at that moment? What was the response of all those disciples? It wasn't, not me. No, all of them said, is it I? Is it I? You understand if we were to look at the failure of a church, how often churches split, and you know when they split, you know what everybody does? They point fingers. Well, you said this, and you did that, and you did that. And here's the example of the apostles, which ought to be our example coming into the Lord's Supper. Is, is our church having an issue? Yeah, it's probably, no. Is it I? An honest question. Is it I? Am I the one that's causing the church not to, not to function in unity. Am I the one that's causing the church to, have, to, to, to be faltering or to be, to be hindered? Okay? So, just a few thoughts on that. 
few harsh thoughts, but it is, they are the biblical thoughts. And then there's this last one here. Look at, again in verse, oops, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 11 and verse 32. Um, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You see that? God brings chastening so that there won't be damnation. <laughs> to be judged with the world. Condemnation, judgment. I mean, you know, understand to the lost world, that's the lake of fire. And eating and drinking unworthily is not going to cause a person to lose their salvation because God clearly says there he's going to bring chastening instead so that that does not happen. That's a, or it can't happen, obviously. In the context of this passage, the damnation or condemnation brought upon oneself refers to a judgment of the Lord, chastening of the Lord, as a father would his children. Um, so again, 1 Corinthians 11.32, But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. The Lord does chasten his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. Hebrews chapter, well, let's just go read it. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 5 through 7. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? In other words, if you're a son of God, you're a believer, you're going to be chastened. You see that? You're, you're not escaped. That's, a, that's actually mercy from God. It's actually also a, a nice sign of the proof of salvation. Thank the Lord, the chastening of the Lord. Okay. All right, how much time we got? What do we got left? Oh, I'm going to have to hold off. We'll have to do one more Wednesday on this here. So we're still not done with the restrictions uh, on the, the participants. So it's kind of what we've been looking at. Some of these specific words that are in here. Um, let, me just, let me just pause here a sec and make sure I'm, I'm thinking along the right realm. Okay, that, we can, I need to go just a little bit further here just to make sure I'm heading in the right direction. So, the Lord's, Lord's table. Um, there, I, have been, I have been associated with some churches where the pastor has delayed the Lord's Supper because there was such a division happening in the church that to do so kind of would have been hypocritical because things weren't settled. And it's not like sometimes, you know, we're humans. It's not like you can just, you know... Snap your fingers and you wiggle your nose and everybody's great, you know. So there are times when, so you understand that church unity is a prerequisite to the Lord's Supper. Church unity is a prerequisite to the Lord's Supper. If I as a pastor was aware of open division, I guarantee you I would be shutting, I would be shutting it down. Saying, nope, we're not going to have it because there's an issue in the church and you all need to get it fixed. Or we're going to help you get it fixed because we need to have the Lord's Supper, okay? And then, of course, there are some other restrictions as we're not going to, like, again, we wouldn't let heretics in here. That's one of the reasons we say we're closed communion. We're not going to be having communion with someone. So if, if in the church someone started causing an issue over doctrine, a division over doctrine, uh, there would be an issue because they're, they're causing division. They're not seeking a, uh, a unity in the bond of peace. Okay, then they they may be uh, they may be prevented from receiving the Lord's Supper, at, le- at least until the division was reconciled. Okay, so all right, let's see if let's see, yeah, all right. Okay, I I can do this. Hang in for five more minutes. I can do this. Just got a little bit. So the last thing restricted as to the elements. Okay, the provision. The Bible very specifically tells us what should be used for the Lord's Supper. Okay? And I've already preached this a lot here, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Unleavened bread. Okay? Unleavened bread. That's what they used at this meal for for the Lord when the Lord put it together. Unleavened means it's made without yeast. Okay? Why, Why was that specifically? Because yeast was a, or leaven, yeast was a type of sin. Okay? 
You know, give it an inch, it'll take a mile. The idea. Okay, so unleavened bread. That would also mean unleavened fluid. <laughs> okay? Unleavened fluid. You, have to, you know, to make strong drink, no matter what anybody tells you, to make strong drink, you have to add yeast. That's amazing. Usually only Christians trying to defend drinking alcohol are the ones who start defending that. But you talk to any lost person, they know if you're going to make wine, like real wine, you're going to add yeast. Okay? The cup. Interestingly enough, the Bible never uses the word wine when talking about the Lord's Supper. Why is that? Well, because wine is a word that can be used about a very broad spectrum of drink. Okay? Some of you, if, if anyone here has read much, just say, let's just move back to the, like the England, medieval time of England. Uh, if you were going to drink, there were three primary drinks, none of which were water, because if you drank water, all the water had typhoid and you would die. Okay? You are going to drink milk. Okay? Milk. Some form of wine, which came in strong drink to hardly any alcohol at all. And most people drank beer. And there were three different kinds of beer. And I can't remember all of them, but there was like, there was like a, a beer that was a strong drink and then what they called a small beer. Small beer. What that meant was beer that had hardly any alcohol in it at all. Like literally, you could drink it all day long. You're not going to get drunk. And that's what people could drink because it, was, it had been boiled and there was no typhoid. Okay? So... When you use the word wine in the Bible, literally it can cover wine that is intoxicating. That's why the Bible speaks 160 times against strong drink. Hello? 160 times the Bible is against strong drink. But the word wine can, can reference strong drink, but it can also reference a type of wine that they had. No yeast was added. Okay? It may have done a little bit of fermenting in its own sugars, like, like your grape juice does when it's in the fridge or so it's out too long. But that's not wine. Okay, and it's not wine by any stretch. You don't even don't even think you're going there. So whenever the Bible talks about the Lord's Supper, it uses this term: the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine. That's pretty clear. The fruit of the vine. What is that? Right there. Squeeze it out. Have a cup. Drink it. I mean, you can you can't get much more direct than that. The fruit of the vine. It's a very very specific term. So. Uh, alcohol or strong drink, alcoholic wine, strong drink, always has to have the action of yeast, which is leaven. And of course, in here, ten, the Lord, by the example, is unleavened. Okay. Now, and I've, I've mentioned this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here also, but the Lord's Supper is a, like baptism, is a symbol, not a sacrament. It's a symbol, not a sacrament. Like I just said, if we were baptized in water, under the name of the, in the name of the, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, we can be accepted into the Catholic Church's, their body of Christ. Okay? Not for us. It's a symbol, not a sacrament. It has nothing to do with salvation. We do it out of obedience. We do it out of memorial. We do it as often as we want, as a choice. There's, not a, there's a choice of how we do it, uh, and it is a show. Okay? These, these things... Do until the Lord comes. You do show the Lord's death until he come. So it's like baptism. It's the supper is a pictorial thing. All right. Okie doke. So when should, we, when should we observe it? As oft as. As often as we want, whenever we want, randomly. Um, uh, a lot of, many, many churches do it the way we do. Some do it quarterly. I have some do it once a month I know of. Uh, here's my thing. I want to do it where we can have the spirit and heart around it that this study sure seems to indicate. That it can be something that is not just, oh, it's time to the Lord's Supper again. And all the kids go, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, grape juice and, you know, eat all the grape juice. No, I want it to be solemn. It, not solemn per se. I, I want it to be understood as serious. There we go, put it that way. Serious. It's real. This is a time of... This isn't, just, this isn't just a ritual that we just throw into our, our... We don't tack it on after an evening service. Okay? It's, a, it's an on-purpose, coordinated, thoughtful, thought-out, um, thought-about okay, practice that makes us take it seriously. That makes us take it seriously. 
So I'll leave you with this. The Lord's Supper is a backwards look. You do show the Lord's death till He come. A forward look till He come. An inward look, let a man examine himself. An outward look, Christ died for all. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 and 19.20. And an upward look, because uh, the Lord gave thanks. It sure, and it sure makes us look up as a reminder to who, to who the Lord is. And one day we will be there too. Amen. And how long should we do it? Till he comes. Amen. Till he comes. Father, thank you very much for the teaching on the Lord's